0: Stand with me and open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 3 through 11. Truly a blessing to be before you again this morning to proclaim the message of God. Amen? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the holy word of God reads, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May the Lord have a blessing upon the hearers and doers of his word. You may be seated. I want to speak with you or to you from the message today, God has done his part. What about you? God has done his part. What about you? Many of you probably know someone who grew up in an environment, in a home in which they seemed to have everything going for them. They had everything that they needed to be successful in life. I mean, they had Parents who raised them in a home that was in a nice neighborhood and uh, they raised them in a nice home. They had parents who made sure that they had uh, all that they needed, not necessarily all that they wanted, but everything that they needed. Their parents set a, a good example before them and how they are to work hard and to pursue an education, stressed how important education was and brought them up to know who the Lord was. So these parents created an environment that was very favorable to their children. So you and I probably know of someone like that, who's grown up in an environment like that, but rather than thriving in school and thriving in life, rather than taking advantage of that Favorable environment, they sputtered, never living up to the potential at which they could have lived up to. Now that doesn't mean that they uh, were just in the world on, on drugs or anything like that, but it just means that they never lived up to the potential that they could have lived up to considering the environment that they've grown up in. You know, when I think about this, I think you would agree that regardless of what opportunities exist for us to be successful, the responsibility falls on us to take advantage of those opportunities. The responsibility falls on us to take advantage of those opportunities that which God has prevented or or brought before us. The same can be said about our Christian walk. God has provided everything we need to live a godly life, but each and every one of us here has a responsibility to grow as a Christian. We each play a part in our growth. God has done his part so that you and I could succeed, succeed in living a life that glorifies him. Succeed in living a life that is transformed and look like his son, Jesus Christ. God has done his part. And if God had not provided everything that we need, there would be no hope of us living a godly life. So just as we may know of someone who has seemed to have everything going for them, but squandered that opportunity, we know that regardless of what environment is created for an individual, that individual bears the responsibility and plays a part in taking advantage of the opportunities that have been presented. As we look at uh, Peter's second letter, this second letter that he writes reminds us that although God has done his part, we each play a part in our spiritual growth and our spiritual development. We can't just let go and let God. You can't just let go and let God. We partner up with God in our spiritual growth and our spiritual development. And in this passage, we see God's grace demonstrated in what he has already done, in what God has already laid before us, the environment in which God has made available to those who trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God has already provisioned everything for us that we need to live the life that he desires that we live. But it takes some work on our part. And so the question that stands before each and every one of us this morning is what are you doing? God has done his part. What about you? As we look at this particular passage, uh, it just amazes me when I look at and take note and truly look at all that God has done. Peter just lays before us uh, just the awesomeness of God, it's, at which point none of us can respond back with any excuse. Even if we've grown up in an environment where we did not have everything that we needed. Maybe our life was such that somebody would say that, you know, it, it wasn't very favorable, that the, the, the chips were stacked against them. Even in those situations, God says that if you trust in my son, Jesus Christ, I will give you everything that you need for life and for godliness. So regardless of the environment that we grow up in, whether we grew up in a non-privileged or privileged environment, God says, I have everything you need. And we see in this particular passage that God provides everything that we need. As we look at verse 3, in this particular passage, Peter lays out, he says, and he starts off with, he says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Oh, man, I mean, we see first that God provides power to those who trust in his son, Jesus Christ. God provides power. It's that same power that He used to create the universe. It's that same power that God uses to cause the earth to spin around each and every day. It's that same power that got you up this morning and opened your eyes. It's that same power that God causes your heart to beat about 70 beats per minute. It's that same power that God uses to keep you and me. It's that same power. That God said, let there be light, and there was light. It's that same power. So he, he's talking about this power, not just any power, but supernatural power, power that is out of this world, power that you can't get anywhere else. He's talking about a power that you can't come to unless you know who God is, unless you know who Jesus Christ is. He says, this is the power that God has given so that we would live a life of godliness. This power, this unbelievable power. Notice it says his divine power has given everything we need. Everything we need. Not just some things, not just sometimes, not just a little bit, not just here and there. He says he's given us everything we need for life and godliness, not just not just some things. He's given us everything we need. And I think that, that should lower some blood pressures this morning because some people are wondering right now. They're wondering if God's going to provide their needs. You, I know you got some needs this morning. Somebody here may not be knowing where their next check is going to be coming from. They may not know where their next meal is going to come from. They may not know how their relationship, their marriage is going to work out. It, it may be on the rocks, but God says, I've, I'm providing everything you need by my power. Everything He's given you everything you need. I, I like the way Peter says has given. You, you didn't, did you catch that? He says he's given you everything you, he has given you everything you need. not he will give how oh, you, you, you're missing it, you're missing it. he says he has given has given. This tells me that it's already done. It's already done. God has already given us everything we need. We just need to receive it. God has already provided everything for us. We just need to obtain it. It was done when Jesus Christ said, it is finished on the cross. At that moment, God said, I provided everything that you need. So that should comfort us in knowing that God is not one who's just holding back or playing games with us, but he's provided everything that we need, everything that his children need. There's nothing that you need that God hasn't already made available to you and to I. But you know what? Peter gets even more specific. He gets even more specific in how God's power is used. If you look at verse 3, he says he, he has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. And so we see that God's power has the unique and unprecedented purpose of giving new life and enabling us to live a life of godliness. God's power has the unique and unprecedented purpose of giving us everything that we need for life and for godliness. So God's power is given to us so that we first may have new life. We can't live a godly life. You can't live a godly life until God first brings you to life. Until Christ resurrects you. Resuscitates you. Until that takes place there can be no godly life. We can live and do all that we want to do. We can do all the good works that we want to do. But until... You give your life to Jesus Christ. It's all in vain, and so He has to give us new life, and and we praise God for new life, and praise God for giving us a do-over, a second chance, a way to do it right again, a chance to live a life, to live life the way that it was meant to be lived. He not only provides the things that we need for life, such as clothes and, and food and, and, and those things. He, he gives us the necessities of life, but he even gives us new life. In fact, I wouldn't even just say new life, I would say life, period. Life, period. Because you haven't begun to live until Christ lives in you. And so he's the one who gives life. Jesus died on the cross and rose again with resurrection power so that we, and you and me, can, could have a life. It says in John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus Christ said that, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Do you believe that? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. So many people are looking for meaning, looking for purpose in life, looking for the good life in relationships, looking for the good life in material things, looking for the good life in possessions and in relationships and other things. and, And God is saying the good life can only be found when you have a relationship with me through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who gives life. John 10.10, 10. Jesus Christ says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus Christ comes to give life and to give us abundant life. Let us trust in that. So we see God gives us power, gives us power to sustain us in life, but he gives, even more importantly, he gives new life. We also see that in this Verse, he he says his divine power has given us everything we need for life, but he also gives us everything we need for godliness. That's the purpose for which you and I have been saved. To glorify God and to live a godly life. A life that is transformed to look more like Jesus Christ. Godliness is an interesting word. We talk about it all the time. Live a godly life. Are you godly? We, We talk about godliness all the time and just to make sure we understand what it means, it means to live in reverence to God. It's a word that implies that there is some action that results from your view of who God is. It's to, it's to just think about it in regards to our theme for the year, living in awe of God, because that's what godliness is, living in awe of God. And so that's what God power is used for so that we will have new life and that we will live a godly life and through the power of the Holy Spirit we can now live a life that glorifies God we can't just be saved and act as though we don't need Jesus day to day you and I need the power of God each and every day from from the time we rise in the morning until the, the time that we lie down we need God's power we need his power to live godly We need his power to make right decisions. It's that that power that keeps you from responding to people in an ungodly way when they treat you in an ungodly manner. It's that same power that allows you to forgive others even when they don't deserve to be forgiven. God is talking about it's that same power that enables you to refrain from looking at some ungodly things, going to some ungodly places, and surrounding yourself in some ungodly things because you have been captured by God's power. It's that same power that he's talking about. We're saved by his power, and we live each and every day, each and every minute, according to his power. I like, you know, there's something in this verse, Peter talks about his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, and everything hinges on this knowledge. He says, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Peter opens our eyes to a truth here in this letter that is very, very important. He lets us know how we tap into this power. How do we come into obtaining or 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 utilizing this power that God has already made available to us? I'm sure if you're like me, everyone wants to know: okay, how do how do I how do I use this power? Because sometimes if you're if you're, if you're like me, you're like, man, I don't feel like I got power. I feel very weak. I know what God's calling me to do and, and how to live, but I know what he wants me to do, but I seem so weak to be able to carry out what he's called me to do. So there's times where we really just don't feel like we have the power that God is talking about in his word. And a lot of times we may be trying to figure out, okay, what's the... What's the one give me the one, two, threes of, of how to obtain God's power? What what do I need to do? But Peter, he lays it before us, he says that if you if you want to receive his power, he says, it comes through a, through our knowledge of God. It comes through our knowledge of God. And some of you are like, well, I already know God. I already know God, and I'm still not feeling this power. Oh man. Man, this is where Peter gets good. See, because what he's saying, you gotta look at that knowledge, that word knowledge on the surface. This may not seem like much, but it is huge. It is huge. What is this word knowledge in the Greek is epignosis. And I'm not trying to impress you because I know I can't, but, but I'm just trying to help you to see what he's talking about with this word knowledge. Epignosis is the Greek word. And what he's talking about is you must come into a fuller, a right, a, a, an intimate and a personal relationship with God. So what he's talking, in the Greek, they have many different words for our one English word, knowledge. And so when you're just reading, you may not capture it. You see knowledge and you be like, okay, knowledge of God, okay, I got that. Move on to the next one. Where's the one, two, threes of how do I obtain this knowledge? That's it. To obtain God's knowledge, to, to come into being able to utilize that power that God has made available to us, he says you must have an intimate, a personal relationship with God. See, there's another Greek word, gnosis, that talks about knowledge as well. It's throughout the Bible, but gnosis is just that, it's that intellectual knowledge. It's a knowledge of God. So what Peter is saying, you can't just, you can't just know of God, you gotta know God. I hope you're getting it. He says it, it's more than just an intellectual knowledge. It's more than just knowing and reading and saying, okay, I've read God, I know God is God, I know He's got power, but you must take ownership of that. It's that it's a fuller and more complete knowledge of something or someone. Somebody asks you if you know Michael Jordan, you might say, Yeah, I know Michael Jordan. I've seen him on TV, he's dunking and all that stuff. Like, no, you don't know Michael Jordan you don't have a relationship with him. We may have read about a person. We may have just talked to a person occasionally at work, but you really don't know that person until you have a relationship with him. And that's exactly what Peter is talking about. He's saying that the power of God that is given for life and godliness comes from a fuller and a more personal relationship with God, a fuller and more personal knowledge of who God is. We experience that power of God as we come to know God more and more. Um, This power does not come by just listening to a sermon message on Sunday. That's part of it, but it, it, it just does not come by just listening to a message on Sunday morning. You have to pursue God for yourself. You have to want to know God for yourself. And this is the type of knowledge where that when you're going through something, When you don't have a means to put food on your table or you don't know where your next check is coming from, it's that same knowledge will keep you because you say, I know God will provide for me. It's that same knowledge. If you don't have that knowledge, then you'll be fretting and fearing what's going to come. It's that same knowledge that keeps us when we don't know what lies ahead of us. It's that same knowledge that Peter is talking about. So he says that he's given us everything we need Everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Through knowledge of God is the channel through which God's grace, his peace, his his power comes through. That channel is like the power outlets in your houses. You got power outlets in your house and we got TVs and microwaves and stoves and fridges and everything plugged up to these outlets. And these outlets allow the power to come through our electronic devices. But you know what? It doesn't do those devices any good if they're turned off. And so there's a, some of us may have, we may be plugged into the church, but we're not turned on to God. And he's saying that you need to be turned on to God. You need to be turned on to his grace, turned on to his mercy, turned on to his love turned on to his long-suffering, turned on to his patience, turned on to his righteousness, turned on to his holiness. You can't just be plugged in to the church. He says you got to be turned on. Kind of like sometimes we have, you know, you got your laptops and it's got power to it, but it's in sleep mode. Some of us need to come out of sleep mode. He said you need to wake up. Wake up. It's that same power. So you got to get plugged in. And if we get turned on to God, we will receive the power that he has made available to us. James chapter 4, verse 8, Jesus Christ says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Can't just be a superficial, um, on-the-surface relationship. Has to be more than that as we obey God's word, seek him, come before him, praying before God, studying his word, looking to know more about who God is and what that means for our life, then his power gets a hold of us and we're able to to live in a way that glorifies God. I'm convinced that that is one thing that is hindering us from exercising the power that God has given us is the fact that we just, sometimes we, uh, there's a lot of people who have knowledge of God. Book knowledge. But Peter's saying you have to have heart knowledge. Because the type of knowledge that he's talking about, epignosis, it doesn't just stop in the mind, it actually causes you to action. That's the type of knowledge he's talking about. It results in us responding to the type of knowledge that we get. See, I can read a book all I want, but that book may not read me to do anything. But what he's saying is the type of knowledge that we need to look for is that type of knowledge when we have an intimate relationship with God that it moves us to respond to God's goodness. It moves us to respond to what he's done. It's not just, you know, knowledge in our head. God's word says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up knowledge puffs up, you know, He says that knowledge that goes in your, you know, that you're just getting to say, okay, yeah, this is, I, I can recite verses and, and yeah, I can debate with the best of them, but do you know, do you know God? Do you know Jesus Christ? Not only does God provide power for life and godliness, but he also backs it up with his, his precious promises. So not only does God give us power, for everything that we need. He gives us his promises. As we look in verse 4, it says that through these he has given his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God provides us with his precious promises so that we can trust in his word. We can trust in God's word because there's not a promise that God has not kept. There's not a promise that God has not fulfilled. This this all goes back to our knowledge of God. If you don't know or believe in who God is, if you don't know who God is, then you won't trust in his promises. You won't trust in his promises. We'll be like the, the rich young ruler. Jesus Christ comes to him and and he says, uh, what do I need to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus Christ says, do, do, do this, do this, do this, and this." Rich Lung ruler said, I've done that. Jesus knew his heart. He says, go sell everything you got. He went away. He might as well have been saying, Jesus Christ, I don't know you like that. And God is asking us to do some things. He's asking us to give up some things. He's asking us to go some places, to share the gospel, to do some things that we just normally wouldn't do. But sometimes we respond like, God, I just don't know you like that. Do you know God? Are you working to, to gain a better knowledge of God? You know, the great thing about God's promises is it doesn't matter which promises they are or how many they are, you can trust in every single word of them that God has declared. You can trust in every single promise. I like I love Second Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty. I love that verse. He says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So it doesn't matter which promises God gives us. They're all yes in Christ Jesus. So you can trust in God's promises that he who began a good thing in you will see it through until the day of Christ Jesus. So you can trust in God's promises that he will never leave you nor forsake you. You can trust in God's promises that nothing can separate you from the love of God. You can trust in those promises. And, you know, the blessing is it doesn't depend on your good works or anything like that. It depends on what God is, what Jesus Christ has already done. It depends on our faith in Jesus Christ and our knowledge of him. So these promises God provides us and keeping in line with the purpose of God's power, God's promises are the vehicle that leads us into godly living. God's promises are the vehicle that leads us into godly living. If we trust and believe in everything that God has declared in his word, from Genesis to Revelation, if we trust in his promises, then it will lead to us living a life that glorifies God by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says in that verse 4, he says, these promises, that's what he says, so these promises, he says, through them you may participate in the divine nature says, that's why I'm giving you these promises, this power, so that we could live and participate to partake in the divine nature, not the sinful nature, so that we would escape the corruption of the world. That's what Peter's talking about here, trusting in his promises. So we see Peter, verses 3 through 4, he lays before us All that God has done, God has provided us his his power. He has called us and chosen us himself for this specific purpose, to glorify his name. He's provided us his precious promises. And because of these, Peter goes on and and he he says that because because God provides power, because God provides his promises, your faith can thrive. So before before we can live in the manner that God declares that we should live, Peter had to deal with, okay, who's God and show us who God is and what God has already done. In verse 5, we see that Peter makes the natural progression from what God has done to what we need to do and how we need to do it. In verse 5, he, he, he talks about, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to, to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, godliness, and all of these things. He's saying that you must continue to grow and develop spiritually. It's a daily process. It's something that we have to do every day when we wake up in the morning and we die to ourselves so that Christ could live through us. That's what it takes to continue to add on. I know many of us, we've been saved for quite some time. And we're like, well, you know, I I don't do some of the things that I used to do, which is great. But I think a lot of times we've kind of gotten into a place where we become content with our spiritual growth. We've become settled. We've become okay with where we're at. And Peter's saying No. He's saying you must continue to add to your faith. Continue to add to your goodness. Continue to add to the knowledge that you're getting. He says, You must continue to thrive in your faith. God's word is reminding us that we need to keep growing spiritually and to do it with every effort that we can do it with. I like what he talks about here. I like the way he starts off when he starts off with faith because everything is built upon our faith. It starts with our faith. It's sustained by our faith. It it ends with our faith. So Peter's saying that we must continue to add to our faith. Not stop there. Many of us believe, but what else are we doing beyond that? I remember when I was young, my mom, she used to make these, these decorative cakes. They were like, you know, the wedding cakes and everything, and designs and all this stuff and oh man we just really enjoy those cakes the first thing that she did was she took a few classes to kind of add to the knowledge that she had already had in making cakes and so she was learning to, to make these decorative cakes and she, she put what she knew into action when she after she learned them in the class she would come home and she'd make these cakes and my brother and I we couldn't be more thrilled because we knew that hey man that was like woo, go mama go Cakes. Not just any cake. We talking about a decorative cake. We talking about layers upon layers and like, man, I don't even know where to cut this. It looks nice and looks good and making those cakes took a lot of effort, took a lot of time, took a lot of resources. My brother and I, we were liking them until it was time to clean the dishes and there was tools everywhere. But when we look at this, when we the, the more layers she added on the cake, the greater the glory. Because my brother and I was sure enough were loving those cakes. Although the cake looked nice and it tasted good, we were impressed with the baker. I hope y'all get that. The cake looked good, it tasted good. But without the baker, it wasn't gonna happen. So when when she finished, she could she could tell she put everything she had into those cakes, and that describes our our growth as Christians. We start out as simple pieces, but as we can come to know God more, our faith continues to grow layer upon layer. We continue to grow in Christ Jesus, and after a while, we the others can see the work of God, the work that God has done in us, and they don't they don't give us glory; they give God glory because they say, "I know what you used to be. I know how you used to live, but." something has gotten into you you're changed you're different than what you used to be and so the work god has done in it is layer upon layer of christ like qualities these added qualities reveal that that we know the baker that we know the we know the potter we know the one who's who's making it who's who's doing a work in us when we exercise these qualities that's what he's talking about he's molding us and making us into a beautiful masterpiece. That's what Ephesians 2:10 says. It says for for we are God's workmanship, created in Jesus Christ to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. For we are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. And he's working on us. As he's working on the inside of us, we are to work on the outside in continuing to develop our faith. I like that. A person, you know, we may look at this and we may say that, well, an unbeliever, they can they can exercise self-control, goodness, knowledge, and and all these things, and some of them may be even better than some believers that doing these things, but you know, the it goes all that's where it goes back and it starts with faith. Unless you have faith, It's like trying to make a cake with just icing and no cake mix. It's not, I mean, it's it's building your house on sinking sand. It's not going to stand. So it says that everything starts with faith. We're saved by grace through faith. But he says we must continue to grow. Continue to add on to that. We must get rid of, you know, the attitude. Sometimes I think that, and I, I, I have to challenge myself at times. We kind of get to the attitude. It's like, I'll get to it when I get to it. And, you know, uh, yeah, I just don't feel like doing that at the church. I don't feel like, you know, participating in any ministries or or doing this. I just feel like I just want to come to church on Sunday. That's pretty much it. Um, you know, I, that's pretty much all. And, and we kind of have that attitude that that complacency starts to set in. But Peter says, uh, he says, make every effort. And that word every effort means with diligence. He says with speed, with some urgency, he says we need to do this. This is a call against complacency. Which I believe to be one of the biggest problems facing Christians today. Complacency. Complacency. I think this is real important because I I think many here know that we need to grow in Christ, but sometimes we go about it so nonchalantly. We know we need to grow, but we feel like we, you know, tomorrow we'll do it. God is saying there's daily we need to do these things. I like what Charles Spurgeon said about being diligent in growing. He says, it is not man's effort that saves him. On the other hand, grace saves no man to make him like a log of wood or a block of stone. He said, grace makes man active. God has been diligently at work with you. Now you must diligently work together with him. Nothing could be closer to the truth. God's grace certainly comes into our life and it saves us, but grace is a verb as well. It's it's active. It causes some reaction. And so we must work to put on these qualities Every single minute of the day. And so that's what Peter's encouraging us to do. Continue to add to our faith. Continue to grow daily. Continue to pursue God. The next thing that we see is Peter moves on to the choice basically is is ours. If you do, this is what happens. If you don't, this is what happens. That's what he lays before us. So I like the way he he goes from the natural progression. He starts at first, he says, this is who God is. This is what God has already done. This is what you need to do, and now the choice is yours. If you possess these qualities, this is what happens. If you don't, this is what happens. In verse 8, he says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ." Mm. Peter lays before us what's at stake. He, he first says that if you do, if, if you possess these qualities, first of all, they will allow us to bear good fruit, which is the Bible is full of parables and passages in which Jesus Christ talked about we being uh, those who are to bear fruit. And he says that if there's a tree that doesn't bear fruit, It's got to be cut down because it's of no use. And so when we possess these qualities, he's saying it it enables us to to bear fruit. It says that it will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive. That word ineffective means idle, a.k.a. laziness. That's, That's what it says. It says it will keep you from being lazy if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. You notice that? He says to keep doing it. Regardless of how spiritually mature you are, regardless of how long you've been saved, he says you need to keep increasing in possessing these particular qualities. And if we do these things, it will keep us from being ineffective, a.k.a. lazy, and unproductive. Unproductive is unfruitful. So he says it will keep us from being idle and and unfruitful. I'm not sure if we, we often think about, you know, a lot of times we look at sin and, and us refraining from sin and we, we think about some of what people may term the, the greater sins, you know. And, but do we know that laziness is a sin as well? You will not find laziness in God, in Christ. Laziness can be a sin. We got to guard against that. So he says if we possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep us from 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 falling into that. He also goes on in verse ten. He says, "Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall." So he's saying that if you do these things, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from falling. Now he's not talking about that they will it, we will not fall into sin at times because we will, no one's perfect. But he's saying that it should not be a state, a continuous state of of, of walking in sin. will keep you from falling into that perpetual state of living in a manner that is ungodly if we continue to possess these things in increasing measure. So he says that it will allow us to bear good fruit, but also will keep us from, from falling. But even more so, he says that In verse 11, if you do these things, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is the goal of our salvation, to be welcomed into heaven with God saying, good and well done, my my good and faithful servant. That's what what the goal is. I mean, we, we all know UofL, after UofL won the championship, they were welcomed back in the Louisville with with a, a great welcome. I mean, people were at the, I mean, they probably couldn't go anywhere without somebody being there. But, you know, when I think about that, how much more glorious is the welcome going to be in heaven for those who were faithful to God, for those who worked hard and were diligent at adding to the faith that God has already given us? How much more of a, of a welcome Will it be? Where it says, your sufferings, your trials, it says it can't compare to the glory that will be revealed. It says it can't even compare. So we are to continue to to work on these things, to increase in possessing these qualities. Now he says in verse 9, he says, if not. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Jesus Christ, he came to give sight to the blind and set us free from the power of sin. And what Peter is saying is that when we possess these things in increasing measure, first of all, it shows that we know who God is. The right knowledge of who God is. And it will, it will keep us from being blind and forgetting that we have been cleansed from our past sins. It will keep us from falling back into that old nature, from forgetting who purchased our, 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 our paid the price for our sins and, and called us out of a life of darkness into his marvelous light. He says if we continue to increase in measure in doing these things, it will keep us from forgetting the work that Christ has done. Keep us from being blind. If we're not possessing these things, if we're not possessing in increasing measure goodness, knowledge, self-control, all of these things, then we won't be able to see very far in front of us and we will be steered in every which direction, not holding on to the truths that God has declared in his word, not living in a way that God has declared that we are to live. In the beginning, I spoke of how we probably know of someone who did did not live up to the expectations. Even though there was a great environment set before them, they had every opportunity set before them. They, we, we know of somebody like that, but if, if we're honest with ourselves, that person is, that someone is us. That someone is us because no one here has lived up to or can live up to the perfect expectations God has set. But that is why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins and my sins. Because he knew that we couldn't couldn't live a life to meet his perfect satisfaction. But Jesus Christ lived that life. He lived the perfect life so that when God looks at us, he sees the life that Jesus Christ lived. That is why God sent his son, to satisfy those perfect expectations of a perfect God. So before I look at anyone else, I got to look at myself and say, am I living up to the expectations of God, the perfection of God? And the the answer is certainly not. But that's where I I trust in my Savior and his son, Jesus Christ, because it's in his perfection that I have life, that you and I have life, and God has blessed you and me beyond what we can truly imagine. And we've all let him down. But that is why we put our faith in Jesus Christ. God tells us that all we need to do is to believe in Jesus' perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his glorious resurrection, and his life becomes our life. And our messed up, rugged, old Torn up life gets credited to Jesus Christ because he was the perfect Lamb, the perfect sacrifice who paid the penalty of our sins on the cross. So take comfort in that, even though we fall short, even though we will struggle at living a life, we don't, we're not saved by what we do. We're not saved by adding goodness to knowledge and Knowledge and self-control. Those things don't save us. He says we're saved by grace through faith. So it's in my faith in Jesus Christ in which I, I am saved, but it's my response to Jesus Christ, to what he's done, that causes me to respond, causes you to respond in a way that God is calling us to, which is to continue to grow in our spiritual growth so that all men may know who God is, so that all men may see his light so that all men may know that God lives and that Jesus Christ is the one who provides life, so that all men may come to know who this God is. Our response to God is not out of fear. We don't do these things out of fear, but out of gratitude for what God has already done for us. So let us keep that in mind. Are you growing spiritually? And what are you doing? to continue to grow? Or are you complacent? Are you settling for where you are? But are you continuously striving to add to your faith so that you may look more like Jesus Christ? A work in process, a work in progress is what we all are. And God says it won't be finished. It won't be finished until the day that he calls each and every one of us home. And when, we, when he calls us home, we want to get that rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of God. We want to all have that, that, that rich welcome. And so we praise God for what he's already done and what he's continuously doing day in and day out so that we could live in a way that glorifies him, in a way that pleases him. Let us pray. Our Father, our God, we... Lord, truly are thankful for all that you have done and all that you continue to do. Thank you, Lord, for you providing everything that we need, providing the the power and the promises to live in a way that glorifies your name. Now, Lord, I pray that your message does not fall on deaf ears this day. Father, may I too, Lord, uh, be quick to respond to your message, Lord, And to always be growing, Father, may we always look to grow and to develop through the power, through the grace, through the love, through the promises that you have given. It is in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. Amen.